You're listening to the Hybrid Cloud Podcast. This is Chris Evans, and I'm here recording another Hybrid Cloud Podcast. Today, I'm joined by two guests from Seagate. I have Manjusha and Kshitish. Who would like to go first and introduce themselves? I can go first. My name is Manjusha Gangadharan. I'm Vice President for Customer Engagement for Live Cloud. I'm Kshitish Soman. I lead the product and operations organization in Live Cloud. Great, excellent. So you're both from Seagate, but both not only traditional sort of storage side as we would normally would normally we've we've chatted to people who've uh, in the past have been involved with things like the media you know devices and so on and this is a slightly different discussion today so we're going to talk about more about the cloud and the technology that's re related around live cloud and and also a bit of a deep dive into some of the details you've you've got in your recent report you published which talks about cloud maturity so we'll, we'll sort of dabble into that and drag some bits and pieces out of that so i'm quite looking forward to the discussion today in order to get us going, can somebody give me what you think hybrid and multi-cloud is as a definition? Because it seems that everybody has their own definitions. Everybody's a slightly different. So it's always good to get an you know, initial sort of baseline as to what everybody thinks. I can jump into that and give a little bit of context in how Seagate defines hybrid and multi-cloud. In a way, you stole some sentences from me, as in everybody comes to the table with a slightly different definition for what a hybrid cloud is. There's a lot more alignment, I think, in terms of the definition for multi-cloud. Uh, Seagate uses a slightly broader definition. So hybrid is typically where you have a combination or one or more cloud providers along with potential for a private cloud slash on-prem. Typically what you would find is a lot of people just define it as a private cloud plus one or more public cloud. We do include on-prem because we have seen that a significant number of companies that we've worked with tend to have a on-prem presence that's not necessarily captured in your traditional private cloud. But uh, more and more companies are headed in this direction where it's anything anywhere, uh, including your potential stuff in your garage, so to speak. Yeah, I, I think I'd agree with it. Well, okay, maybe not in the, in the garage. Um, specifically, but I understand what you mean by that, you know, generally your own data center. I think that's a, a very sensible thing because ultimately you know, we, we hear about things like cloud repatriation and various other things, mm -hmm. but it has to make sense to include any way you might run your applications because we should be including our security model and everything else that sort of describes cloud to be inclusive of all those things. Does that mean you would you, inc would you include SaaS and PaaS and all those sort of things into that? Absolutely. I think the general definition we've seen tends to cover a lot of space, a lot of territory in a way. A lot of companies are now increasingly using some sort of a cloud-based application as part of their overall strategy to get work done. And that has necessitated a direction in which a lot of providers uh, are in your provider kind of uh, space that you wouldn't expect to be cloud-based, but are cloud-based. So uh, SaaS, PaaS, all of these then become candidates for inclusion in your overall cloud strategy from our point of view. Yeah. And can we attribute this purely to just normal evolution that we've ended up in this situation? Do you think, you know, it's a sort of a situation people have fallen into because they've just decided, ah, look, they do, they do something over there that's SaaS that we could just use that. I get the feeling that that's what people do. They, they, you know, they see something and they think, 
will do that and they don't necessarily think through the consequences. You know, what's your experience from customers? Are they just using things up because they see stuff and just think that's a great opportunity to take away some, you know, some task that we don't have to do anymore because we can give it to a cloud provider? It's a little bit of both, Chris. We see a pretty wide spectrum of customers. There are startups, there are small and medium customers, and then enterprise customers. So if you take a look at the end of the spectrum, which is of startups, they typically tend to be cash-strapped. They will identify very narrowly what they require. And they're very mindful about the kind of tools that they would adopt to achieve the outcome they want to. Small and medium customers, you do see that trend continuing to some extent. But then there is that positive challenge of scaling which comes about. And at that cusp of SMB and enterprise, you would begin to see an explosion, if you will, of heterogeneous systems across their organization. And you have different departments making decisions on what are the kind of features that they want. So it's, it's a combination of both. There is some mindfulness in the selections that they make, but as they grow, some of them sleepwalk into it as well. Mm. It sounds like we've ended up with a very interesting setup because not only have we got many, many different cloud scenarios, different platforms, different usage styles, but you just highlighted something that I think that's very interesting, and that's that different parts of the business could be making different decisions. And it might not all come from a central IT organization. And as a result, what do you do in that situation? Who has the overall control and how are businesses making sure that whatever standards get put in place are adhered across all of those business units? I actually like where Manjusha was going with this. This is a topic that I think she and I and some others here have talked quite a bit about is how do organizations actually end up where they are in terms of their cloud strategy? Um, sometimes it's not truly a strategy, but a whole bunch of tactical decisions that led them. Most organizations are under pressure to get stuff done fast. So oftentimes that's one of the causes. Uh, departments often make decisions that are super important for them from a time to market goal. Uh, so while there may be a common IT strategy, things do get sidelined or sidetracked every now and then. And then before you know, whether you sleepwalk or you slip and slide into a multi-cloud hybrid strategy, you do end up there. Uh, so that's definitely one of the big things that we've seen as, as far as uh, you know how we ended up here is yeah. concerned. One of the things that I'd like to add over there is how can customers really prevent a scenario where they're really looking at so many heterogeneous elements? And I believe it really comes down to cloud strategy having a data strategy, right? Where they need to develop and implement a data governance initiative across uh, the organization. So there is better control. Um, I, I like to think of it as a multi-cloud mediation strategy, if you will, so that you prevent things like data sprawl, application sprawl, which is, you know, an inadvertent side effect of having a multi-cloud environment. So I, I think this is a very interesting angle to go down and have a discussion about. So I've, I've been talking for a long time about having data at the center of the architecture that we put in place for, pe for people in, in IT organizations and for businesses. And I think I entirely agree that data is the center of the discussion because ultimately business is about the value of data that you use to build applications and what you do with it. 
but a lot of people tend to come from an infrastructure sort of angle and say let's use cloud because cloud is a cheaper whatever it happens to be whatever logic logical reason there's a lot of focus on picking infrastructure first rather than thinking that inverted way of starting with the data and working out what is the best platform to put that on so just going into the detail of that it seems to me that there's a lot of other things that could go wrong there you know the security to think about there's a whole lot of data mobility challenges to think about so on the one hand, yes, I agree with you, start with the data, have that as the center, but how should customers go about doing that? I, I want to take a step back and start where Manjusha was headed with her uh, uh, little thing about data and governance around data. I think when I think about data in general and organizations at large, we will often see that there is sometimes a little bit of a gap between the organizational needs in capturing information, whether it's targeted towards customers, inbound, outbound, or all of the other internal processes and people and tools. So there is a information base that every organization operates around. And when you take that and start structuring it, and I, I know the big conversation nowadays is about unstructured data, but still from a logical point of view, when you take information and start to structure it in some format, that's where it truly turns into data that's usable for the organization to either execute their strategy, their sales, their internal uh, processes. And that's where the governance and an ability to look across and, and sort of make sense of it uh, starts to kick in. And that's also where, just to tie back to what we were talking about earlier, individual divisions or departments within the organization may start to make decisions that are uh, important for them or may go in different directions. This strategy or this ability of organizations today to actually quickly hop on to something like a cloud, ramp up a POC, and which eventually migrates into a full-fledged application that serves some purpose, leads into all of these other areas of concern, right? Some of the risks that come with, with adopting this strategy uh, or this method of practicing multi-cloud, hybrid cloud. It also brings security issues. Obviously, when 15 people are implementing different kinds of application, there's different approaches that open up gaps in understanding, gaps in communication. And all of these do lead to a whole bunch of risk and security aspects that, that need to be mapped out. Mm. Um, and all of that, in some ways, would translate into a financial and liability kind of equation that I'm, I'm sure Manjusha might want to add some more on. You're right, Chris, in saying that, you know, we are looking at it from the perspective of data being the central part of a multi-cloud approach. But there is also the need, like Shitesh said, to maintain a strong security posture. There needs to be full stack observability that is actually implemented. There also needs to be a stance where you're actually integrating the existing and traditional forms of you know, data movement which exist within the company so that it's truly a hybrid environment that the customer puts into place. But Shitesh also talked about the cost implications of this. Right? And that's something that you know, all customers are going to be concerned about. You know, when they looked at moving from a CapEx to an OpEx model, uh, the key was how do we achieve cost savings? But having a multi-cloud environment, unless it is controlled effectively, your cost can run away before you know it. And so there needs to be a 
system of controlling costs so that you can really realize the economic benefits, you know, the original promise of the cloud. So beyond data being the central part of uh, the multi-cloud strategy, there is security, there is observability, there is also cost. Okay, so let, let's sort of break that down into a bit more detail there then, because I agree with you on the cost one. The cost is a really interesting angle. You know, there's so many different aspects to it. There's the ability to build consistently across every different platform that people have got to be used to. There's that change of OPEX and CAPEX model that people obviously have hopefully got used to now, but you know, there's still issues within that. And then for me, there's another question about how do you t use that data? So for instance, do you use that information to help you place workloads? So you, do you look at a workload and say, actually, let's put that in this, this particular location because that will be the most cost effective. And at that point, do you become dynamic with that in the future going forward and actually move things around on the basis that you've now got that visibility to, to work that out? What's your sort of feedback about what you've seen customers do? I mean, is, is that something that was in your report that you've, you know, you've, you've highlighted at all? I'm glad you brought that up, Chris. In our multi-cloud maturity report, we went through quite a few companies to get responses. And we found that 84% of our respondents think that there is an opportunity that exists for the organization to better leverage existing data. And But at the same time, the report also suggests that 73% of the respondents felt hampered by data retention costs. So a lot of this needs to be thought through when they are putting together that multi-cloud strategy. Like you pointed out, you know, which are the workloads that you really want on the cloud? Which are the workloads that you want moving between clouds? And how are you moving the data? All of these have cost implications to the customer. Right? So I think it's a valid concern, and it is something that has been highlighted in our multi-cloud maturity report. It's it's not a simple model though because picking a simple example you know if you buy stuff on premises that that hardware if you bought it is a sunk cost so once you bought it if you do move move stuff somewhere else there's like an incentive to say well let's make sure we use that because that's now available for us to do something else with that you know if it's got to be depreciated down or something like that you're not going to throw it away but if you're in the cloud everything's an opex cost where actually if you get off something, you switch it off and you stop. You stop spending. So there's a there's a there's a sort of different mindset that people will have to have adjusted to. So there's a degree of people's approach in terms of the way that they actually look at the technology and say, how should we adopt it? How should we use it? And again, that's a you know change of mentality about your vision about how you look at that. Uh, that's another angle that you've got to really think about. I think when you're deciding how you structure these things. That's right. I would I would agree with you 100. percent There is that change in mindset. You know, moving from an on-prem to a cloud kind of strategy is a big leap. And it does consider different parameters, like you said, you know, that when it comes to on-prem, you do need to think about de depreciation. You need to think about things like tech debt that you're accumulating within the organization. But when it comes to cloud, it's a very different paradigm of the cost that you incur, the mindset that you need to have in place to develop both the data governance strategies as well as the security postures and how you control costs. Do you think it can be done across all those environments in a consistent fashion? Because aren't they just really diverse or diverse enough to make it difficult to, to have a single set of standards? Or do you think that's achievable? I think it's a great aspirational target. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, I wouldn't, you know, there's nothing which is impossible, but it's a tough one. 
right? They do have different standards, right? And I think that is the challenge that a lot of customers are facing today. How do you really straddle between both of these worlds? And how do you manage that? Um, I'm not sure if there is a, a quick fix or a silver bullet to solve that one. Uh, it's, it's a great aspirational goal to have, is, is my opinion. But I think this is surely an achievable, not achievable, I'll use a different word actually, surely has to, it has to be an aspiration of people. Because on the one hand, when we didn't have the cloud, we didn't have the flexibility of being able to scale up and scale down. We didn't have the ability of OPEX to that degree. When we're on premises, we get other benefits. You know, we've got sovereignty, control over data and, and, and those sort of respects. So there are positives and negatives depending on where you de decide to deploy. Neither one answers every single question. And as a result, it seems to me that you've got a little bit of a balancing act there to make sure you optimize your use of the different technologies that are all available to you. Absolutely. Um, I, I think this conversation, um, and Manjusha mentioned this, so I, I'm going to repeat it a little bit, Chris, is it is aspirational in terms of how you bring it all together. There are challenges, there are specialties that every cloud does provide. And a lot of times, people who are in charge of making these decisions to go after one or two or three cloud providers tend to kind of do it based on what the strengths and weaknesses are being offered by individual cloud providers. So um, these are not easy decisions, but then we, when you bring it all back together, there's got to be somebody in your organization who has to understand and make sense of all of this in the landscape, um, actually stitch it all together. And that is time consuming. It's um, also something that has to be done. Otherwise you end up with just a whole bunch of unrelated systems that now somebody else has to worry about trying to uh, you know, do make sense out of. Uh, like I say, sometimes people end up with lots of Excel spreadsheets just because their systems are not talking to each other. So uh, it's if you take that idea from the old world where lots of departments had their own silo systems and then somebody was cranking Excel spreadsheets and reports in the back end for the big bosses, uh, a very similar scenario can very easily be recreated when you have all of these unintegrated cloud providers that are that are part of your uh, ecosystem. So I think that's important, pulling it all together, stitching it all together, having some sort of a architectural mindset. And I'm using the word architecture more from an enterprise point of view rather than specifically technology. And technology will also kick in. But these things need to be done. They have to be done. These are challenges that organizations do face. And we, in in some of the numbers that Manjusha was mentioning, these are some of the things that we've seen get highlighted through the report is um, there are challenges and, and people want to figure out how to deal with them. So I'm, I've been in IT quite a long time. So I'm relatively old compared to, to most people I talk to. So uh, I started in the mainframe uh, era and have seen mainframe what I would used to I used to call open systems, but I'm talking about Sun and HP and you know the mid-range technology. Yeah. Then the adoption of x86 and that going through the data center and being the dominant technology. The interesting thing is that in lots of places I worked, each of those ended up being silos. So the mainframe guys were, oh, that's the mainframe guys. We don't really talk to them, but we do have a feed of data that comes out somehow. We know we. We pull some data out every so often. And I saw a similar thing happening with the mid-range stuff that then 
happened with the x86 yeah. model where all of those things tended to sit as isolated pools of stuff that people managed separately there was not a lot of cross communication between teams and there's certainly not the one thing that you've just mentioned and that's the idea of needing what i would describe as a super architect who can actually look at all of these different platforms and say actually there's not a consistent strategy here about how we manage the data how we implement security because i don't think i don't think we're talking here necessarily about the level of operational detail that needs to go down to minutiae mm -hmm. of you know how we do things what we're talking about is those high level things of security and data management and data governance and i never saw that being applied consistently and it seems to me that that's where we're at risk of walking into is a similar mistake of having the cloud team the on-prem team and unless you have that super architect so you know do we need super architects is that where we're headed I, I think uh, when I mentioned enterprise architecture, I was sort of, I think, saying the same thing that you were calling as super architect, yeah. Chris. Um, in, in, it, it's that umbrella person or organization that's looking at the broad stroke uh, rather than the minutia. And it's really working out, how do I have all of these things stitched together? Uh, the other aspect of it is it's not just technical. There's operational, organizational technology, and cost implications. So even the CapEx, OpEx kind of conversation floats into this, right? One quick example or analogy I can give is, uh, do you buy a fancy cappuccino machine and put it on your countertop, or do you walk into a coffee uh, shop and pick your coffee? And that second option actually gives you the ability to walk into a different coffee shop if you want. Uh, not exactly like you would walk into a cloud provider every single day and pick some new flavor. But but the idea is that uh, going down this OPEX route opens up a whole bunch of options that you would not get if you just went out and went down the CapEx route and just... So cost is obviously one thing. Uh, how you account and finance these things are another thing. So to in my mind, maybe from my background, I, I would have called it enterprise architecture. You are referring to the same thing as super architecture. I, I think it's super important to get that level of clarity. And again, data governance, some of the other things that Manjusha talked about, sort of all tie into this vision that you need to ultimately build. Otherwise, you're just creating a whole bunch of sub-organizations that are going off and doing whatever they want. Yeah, I was. I, I think I was trying to create a term I could actually copyright. So if I if I come up with a term like super architect, I can say I was the first one to use it. So that I get I get the right to use it going forward. Um, but I agree with you on the co the coffee one's an interesting one, isn't it? Because if you look at it, you can think, well, I could go out and just buy a coffee every day. But when I'm buying a thousand coffees for people in the office, going to Starbucks and spending three dollars, four dollars each every day becomes totally crazy. So I buy a machine or I buy it, I bring that in house because actually it only costs me like 20 cents, 30 cents a cup if I do it in house because the beans aren't that expensive. It's the experience I'm paying for with Starbucks or somewhere. Similarly, I'm almost paying for the experience of the cloud in order to get me to that point. So that's a, you know, it's, it's a good analogy because it allows me to, you know, use that, uh, I think, to describe the cloud model. The experience of the cloud, it does come with its, challenges of being complex, right? Um, you know, in our uh, multi-cloud maturity report, one of the things that we asked about was complexity. And what we found was that more than half the respondents are managing 
more than 100 plus inter-cloud integrations. And that's an attempt to create a, and define a multi-cloud architecture, maybe through abstraction layers, maybe through full stack observability and so on. But this journey does come with its complexities. And we do need to have that kind of a super architect in place or a team that's constantly looking at the traditional, the hybrid, the cloud, all of those silos to bring it all together so that the company can reap benefits of this journey. So one, one quick thing I want to add to what Manjusha just said. It's an interesting dimension to the whole multi-cloud, hybrid cloud stuff that's going around. And it has to do with the proactive, reactive part of our journey as an organization. Not just us, Seagate, but any organization that's adopted the cloud. Uh, we've seen a lot of people, uh, as you were saying earlier, sleep walk into the multi-cloud area. What that almost forced a lot of organizations was to do reactive stitching or interfacing between the application. Manjusha just talked about how it's a fairly complex area or has started to become complex and, and troublesome. But what you're talking about from your now copyrighted <laughs> super architect uh, point of view is really to be more proactive in this space, right? You don't want to stumble into a problem and then run at 100 miles or 200 miles an hour to try and fix it. You want to actually take a step back and say, yes, we live in a multi-cloud or a hybrid cloud world. How do we do it the right way so that the pain and suffering is reduced? Yeah, that, that's a, a challenge, I think, for somebody who's a CIO or CTO to be sitting there and saying, you, you don't want to put the reins on people to stop them saying they can't use the technology. But at the same time, if they do decide they want to go down the route of using it, you want to work with them to make sure that that particular business unit deploys it in the right way. Because otherwise, you end up with just another package thrown over the fence when somebody's deployed it where you go, oh, I've got to support that now. I've got to pay for that. So... I guess, you know, if we're looking at strategies about how we could help people think about this, because that's, I think, where we should go next. You know, we've talked about a lot of the challenges. What do we do to help people um, approach this correctly? I mean, what are you finding as your recommendations around that? Uh, when you think about it as uh, organizations support themselves through people and processes and tools, uh, tools is products, which is my area. Uh, so I'm thinking a little bit here from a product uh, uh, point of view. Um, we adopt multiple products. We adopt multiple ways of doing things. Uh, what that actually implies is from a business point of view, uh, you need to head into this from a very detailed sense of what are the different functions and what kind of products and services I'm going to use, either in-house in or based on a vendor-supplied tool set. And irrespective of which one of these we end up with, it is essential to kind of get a sense of all the tooling, all the functions, have them mapped out. And then the second step would be really to start thinking about what part of this is going to be in which part of the cloud uh, or multi-cloud or which vendor of cloud you're going to choose. It's, it's a plan driven. Um, and I think I mentioned earlier about a more proactive rather than a reactive approach. Uh, so having a plan-driven approach that talks about functions, products, uh, goals and aspirations of the organization, uh, needs. So going from a goal, needs, and solution sort of ladder, you kind of 
define that plan and go after it is how I would say. And then in addition to all of that is, of course, the cost and a whole bunch of other things that come in where you start to balance off because you can't buy everything in the world, right? I hope, but not. Uh, so that's that's where the other dimensions start to kick in. So there's there's the product and the technology part, and then there's the rest of the dollars and cents reality that that start to kick in. Well, thanks for that, Shadesh. I, I I'd like to break this down into maybe five buckets. One, like Shadesh mentioned, leverage the tools which are available to measure the cost of cloud resources. Second is to evaluate what is the deployment criteria. What is that outcome? that you're trying to achieve, uh, like Shritish said, you know, the goals and the needs. Monitor the characteristics with a full stack observability. Then when it comes to investment, prioritize both tools and training so that your teams are coming up to speed on what this deployment is actually going to offer them. And then finally, but also most importantly, see how security and protection can be automated so that it becomes a lot easier and you're kind of ahead of the game as far as security posture is concerned. Um, that's the kind of advice that we would give customers when they're embarking on a multi-cloud journey. I think you've highlighted one very imp important point there, which I just want to go back and just uh, discuss a bit more. And that's the idea of being able to measure what you've actually done. So many times in IT when I've been worked, when I've worked in um, deploying projects and all the rest of it, nobody's actually set the goals at the very beginning and said, here's what today looks like, here's what the future looks like, here's how we measure between the two to see whether we've actually reached the goals we want to achieve. And I think without some measurable plan, you're basically just wasting your time because anything could be classed as well we delivered that you know it could just be the we spent the money could be the the you know the, the the measure of whether we got there or not so i think that's really important you need to be measuring that but i think it's it's a, it's a change of mindset that says that's what you now do all the time because at some point you might find another cloud service comes in to be to be better than what you have today and if you do get to a level of mobility where you can move around that dynamically you still need to have a way of measuring that when you go forward. So it's a, another mindset change, I think. You're absolutely right. And, and I think a lot of our customers today are juggling uh, between the notion of leveraging best of breed, you know, versus consistency and reduced complexity. Right? And, you know, you touched upon an interesting point of data mobility. And instantly, customers are thinking about re data retention costs, egress and API. And you know, here at Seagate, we have Live Cloud that we've developed, which is an interesting cloud solution where we believe that data needs to breathe. We believe data really needs to move seamlessly and frictionlessly uh, between systems. And so the way that we've developed our cloud is customers pay for what you get. You, you're not charged for APIs. You're not charged for egress and so on. So that's a, a, a different way of, of looking at cloud. But when it comes to that multi-cloud architecture, I think all of these things are, are very important parameters that you really need to keep in mind when you develop your strategy. Is there a, a, a good place to start? I mean, is, where do you start when you're dealing with this? You know, is data a good place to start with? Should people be chopping off chunks, shall we say, and trying to see what's the, the easiest to deal with? You know, are there big tasks to get out the way first? Do you have sort of an idea of what strategy would be the best to follow? There needs to be clarity on what you have today and what you're trying to achieve. And once you have the starting point and the end point, 
then you start breaking down the journey into digestible chunks. So do we start with the low-hanging fruit and then work ourselves up? Maybe that's a great strategy for certain companies. Uh, do we eat the frog first and then you know, get on to the other uh, delicious bits? That could be a, a, a strategy. But it really depends on what you're trying to achieve. How much of time do you have to get there? What is the budget that you have in place? And what are the key pain points that you're trying to solve? What's most burning for you? Right. So there is no one solution fits all. Mm -hmm. It's really a very nuanced, thoughtful approach that each company needs to take based on the position that they're in. Um, yeah. Um, so if, if I were to go back and repeat, actually, what uh, some, something that Manjusha just said, it's that one size doesn't fit all. Organizations come at this from lots of dimensions. Uh, there are different sized organizations. Um, reality of the politics inside all organization, their own way of running their leaderships. There's a lot of factors that come to play here. It's easy to say, start with a goal that some super architect has kind of put together and then break it down. But that only works at some organizations. Other organizations will start at the bottom and work up towards that. The, the fact that you need enterprise clarity and the super architect kind of vision it's a given, I think. But how you get there is where I think it needs to be adapted to the organization, um, as Manjusha was saying. Okay, perfect. So, um, very quick uh, question, just, you know, as we're sort of coming towards the end of our time, how does Seager get involved in this? Now, you've mentioned Live Cloud, you know, how much, of a, how much do you get involved in helping customers with that consultancy side of things versus the product side of things? So Live Cloud is our um, S3 compatible object storage that we launched a couple of years ago. And um, since then, you know, we've helped several customers enhance their cloud strategy. We have customers like Lattice Semiconductor, Zoom, uh, Cyarc. Um, we have customers that shall not be named uh, due to NDA. But mm -hmm. we do have industries that we span across in the media and entertainment space, autonomous vehicle, finance and so on. And the way that we've helped these customers is one with cost savings, because live cloud, like I mentioned before, is pay what you use, right? You are not charged for anything additional. There is no fine print in terms of data retrieval costs, API costs, um, customer support, professional services. All of this is included in the service that we offer as live cloud. And in addition to that, we also have the live family, which includes live mobile. It's like a shuttle device that helps customers lift and shift data. You know, one of the challenges that customers typically have is, okay, you've got the cloud. Now, how do I move my data there? So for customers who have a lot of data, we do have a shuttle-like service called um, live mobile. Uh, we also offer tape migration services. So it's a a secret of most CIOs that they do have data still stored on tape and they wish they could move it to the cloud. So we do offer a pretty interesting service around tape migration as well. So one is in terms of cost savings and two is in terms of simplifying that strategy to a point where here is a cloud that you can use for backup, for disaster recovery, for archival uses and you don't really have to worry about 
the kind of impact that it's going to make on your budget. And we also, because this is S3 compatible, it is easy to integrate this with other S3 compatible uh, applications. We could also coexist with the current CSPs that you may be using. Sounds like um, Manjusha just took your, um, your I'm going to say your, your story away there for a second, um, Shitish. It's, um, you're the product guy, you said. So that sounded like that should have come from you rather than <laughs> uh, we're, we're, We sing and dance on the same team. So um, we're, we're very closely aligned. Um, I, I think her point about the live family is super important. It's not just live cloud, which is, of course, super important for us. Um, that's one of the areas that we are really focused on. But Seagate as a 40-year-old company with the rich history that we have in storage across the board is really expanding to be any data anywhere. Uh, so there's the cloud, there's the mobile device that she spoke about. So there's, there's this whole spectrum of things that really puts into the consumer's or enterprise hands an ability to work with any kind of data anywhere, and, and that, that is super powerful, I believe. Yeah, you certainly can't beat the bandwidth of a lorry full of tapes or whoever said that, a, a station wagon full of tapes or something somebody said in yeah. there years ago, the bandwidth of it. Um, okay, so let's just um, see if we can point people in the right direction so they can go and look at, say, the maturity report, where they can learn more about live cloud. Where should we send them towards? Uh, where would you like to um, do, a bit, do, a, do a little bit of advertising about where you'd like them to head? You could go to Seagate.com, and within Seagate.com, there's Seagate.com slash resources slash multi-cloud hyphen maturity hyphen report. This is where you can download our multi-cloud maturity report. And you can also find us on uh, social media platforms under the handle at Seagate. Perfect. Now, that was all quite a long URL, so I'll make sure we put that in the show notes so people can go find that and click on it without having to remember or write it down. Uh, but for now, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate your time. Shitish and uh, Manjushri, it's been great. Uh, thank you very much. And look forward to catching up with you again sometime in the future to learn a bit more. Thank you for having us. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Chris. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to the Hybrid Cloud Podcast from Architecting IT. For show notes and more, subscribe at hybridcloudpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at Architecting IT or join our LinkedIn group by searching for Architecting IT. You can find us on all good podcatchers, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. <laughs>